This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised.
number of episodes because of that. But so what what have you been up to, Jen? You had a pandemic happen? <laughs> what, have you, what have you been doing? The pandemic is nice to me because I can't go outside a lot because I'm literally allergic to the sun. So um, so you're really been, a vampire. So you're really I writing am, autobiographical stories, right? Right. But with <laughs> none of the perks, I only have the negative side of the vampire, which is uh, if I spend more than 10 or 15 minutes in the sun, I, I break out in hives and start itching and eventually my throat closes. So that's a great time. That's um, delightful. It sounds great, but I did get to tint the windows in my car using my HSA, which was the greatest moment ever. Um, Because it's it's a medical condition, Uh, solar urticaria, for those who want to know. But um, not leaving my house was really good for me because I got a lot of writing done. I know other people had to leave their house in order to get things done. For me, my my house is very calm and quiet, so I I get a lot done. And it lets me stay up late because I started teaching online. And it just made my life a lot easier and more conducive to creating. So I've been productive. You've been productive. Well, let's talk about the Conjuring Fascination series. So what it, let's get some little insights. Let's little yes. tidbits into that. All right. So this is a book. <laughs> All right. So I wrote this book a really, really long time ago, the first volume of it. And I wrote it in uh, first person and I had finished it. And I was like, this is a fun little story about, you know, girl in the city meets a vampire. Um, you know, it was maybe 75,000 words and it just wasn't wonderful. I was like, this is cool, but maybe I need to start over. And we, the three of us, plus Vanessa, who is also a co-host, were at a writer's retreat. And I was convincing myself that I needed to start over at the beginning, which is the hardest thing. Cause you're like, no, no, I could just, I could take what I have and fix it. Of course I could tweak it and make it wonderful. No, sometimes you just need to keep the idea in your brain and start over. And I sat on the couch with Vanessa while you guys were doing a podcast and you kept yelling at us because we were loud in the background. (laughs) And Vanessa was like, hey, so why don't you, you know, she walked me through the beginning. So that entire first chapter um, takes place. Basically, you've got a a human girl who lives in the city who's had some terrible things happen to her with the supernatural in her youth, but is like recovering. And now she's like, there's no such thing. It was just, I made it up because I got hurt, whatever, trauma. Um, so she gets tickets to go to a show at a place called Viking Times, which was Vanessa's wonderful idea. She was like, medieval times, but with Vikings, because your main character is a Viking. And uh, it was one of those, like, she was supposed to go with her boyfriend, but they broke up. So she ends up at Viking Times alone, and she meets a Viking who ends up being a vampire, and then they have adventures from there. So I had to rewrite the entire thing. Um, it's not in first person anymore, and it's much better for it. Uh, because now I can bounce perspective. So that was the first book. And then I had to go back and I wrote a prequel for it. So that's actually volume one is a little short story novella, right? It's not a short story. It's a little baby book called Call Me Forth, which is what happened to her when she was younger. So you get that story. And then I just finished uh, Keep Me Close as book three. And that's where it all comes together. And um, I thought I was done. But the more that I've been talking about it with Val a lot, uh, it's not done. And there's so much more to go. So much more to go. It's it's the third installment. Yes, exactly. No, and and I think it's um, very important to, to share stories where you have to start from scratch and rewrite a story because I, I'm sure everyone here has a story collecting dust from high school or from when they first attempted that has a great story idea, even strong characters, but your writing wasn't there or you didn't understand how important it was to tell that story in a different perspective. So it's kind of nice to hear that you circled back, made that hard call and, and are happy with the end result. Well, Charles Gannon was talking about that on the show is that the book he just finished, he's doing a series, but a book that just came out, he, um, it was characters he wrote in high school. Like it was a story he started writing in high school and he took the characters and the premise and rewrote it. And I think, I think you can do that. Even if a story starts to stall, sometimes you can take it, kind of scatter it out again and go, what should this have been? you know, and mm-hmm. start again. But it is, I, I, it is one of the hardest things in the world to go, oh God, I got to redo something, you know? And, 
and it was very tempting to go back and like steal from the original and I'm that was part of why I said no I have to rewrite it in a different person because then I can't steal it like I can't just go back and go no this conversation was fine just copy and paste that into the new one like no I read it, the whole thing through once so that I remembered highlights and then I just closed it and I didn't open it again so oh, wow. it was it was hard <laughs> it is uh, I I still have to do one more rewrite I believe of rebirth which was one of the first novels I wrote and finished in high school I rewrote it initially and it got a hundred times better and I was happy for it. But now, now that I've grown so much as a writer, it's one of those things like, does, would another rewrite do this more justice? And, and I'm, I'm leaning towards that. I'm not, it's, it's definitely an undertaking, but it's, I don't think I've ever heard someone say, uh, yeah, I tried to rewrite it and I hated it. I've never I've never run into a person. If there's a person out there, I would I would love to hear what the tribulations were behind that. But mm -hmm. for the most part, most people, as long as you close that older one and break that bond and start fresh with those initial concepts in place, most people are very happy with their rewrites. Because mm -hmm. every time you write something, you're, you know, your writing voice is going to improve, your style will get better you'll you know leave old problems behind and develop new ones like there's not a lot of nodding and shrugging in this this series which I was so proud of myself but um she bites her lip constantly and I don't I'm like what is happening why why is everybody biting their lip in this book you know so, sometimes there are habits that are hard to break you know you realize mm -hmm. that when you're writing in the book that that's the case but you have another series coming up don't you yeah, my next series is is Dragon Shifters because I discovered a lovely movie, <laughs> a Russian. Uh, also uh, Vanessa's fault. Also Vanessa's fault. I mean, she showed us the movie but hadn't seen it yet, and then I watched it. I was like, oh my god, this movie is the best. So the movie is called I Am Dragon, and it's delightful. Um, and it's basically a sweet romance about a a, a dragon, a human dragon, and a princess, essentially. Uh, a, a duchess, if you will. But uh, that story, I just kept thinking about dragon shifters. And then in the the Conjuring fascination, there actually is a dragon shifter mentioned. So that character is like a side character in that book, but he's going to be one of the one of the players in this new series. Um, so the first one, I uh, should know my name. No, Cerise Secrets, that's what it's called. So that one's coming up. Um, I think it's releasing at the end of the year. So that's really exciting Ooh. so um you know we always ask other people who are on the show like what is your writing process like so jm what is your writing process like I, I try so hard to outline and it's just uh, okay so i'll start right i have uh, i start with the uh, conversations i always start with dialogue because that's where a story begins in my brain um, so I'll have an idea for a conversation and then I build characters around that. Who are these people? Why are they saying this thing? And then from there, I build a world and a story. Um, so for me to plot out a story is weird. Cause I'm like, I know at some point they're going to talk about this thing, uh, but where is it going to come up? And then usually I'll start just writing, uh, usually in the middle of that conversation. And then once I've got, you know, 30 pages or so, I can step back and go, okay, now really, where am I? Do I need to back up? Do I need to add more to the beginning of this? And then when I get about halfway, um, usually that's when I sit back and I'm like, all right, now I need an outline. So I go through all the chapters that I've done so far. And then I, I write down all the scenes that I think I'm going to write in the future. And then I totally ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> for the most part because <laughs> I'm like oh so we're not doing this I had a whole thing planned for for keep me close the last book of Conjuring Fascination I had a whole thing planned of how it was going to go and and no no Pilkington was like no that's actually not we're not doing that at all that thing you wanted so so yours yeah. is very character driven kind of like Val's yeah the characters misbehave all the time Erica they don't I mean, listen to me at all Mm -hmm. No, they don't listen to either one of you. I don't have this problem when I'm writing. <laughs> Mine is not characters not listening to me. So, but, um, so that's cool. How much can you get done at a clip? 
it depends. And we're if being asked these questions because you normally are the one asking. The I question, normally, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Well, well, I don't know if I'm not being distracted by late night Netflix now. Um, if I'm really in like writing mode, I've written what was my max? I think I wrote 8,000 words in, in like the, you know, uh, an evening. Cause I, I write right. at night. I can't write. I'm not a morning person at all. I'm not conscious until coffee. And usually like he's looking at me and asking me that question. <laughs> it was, it was, because they, don't, they don't know Jen that we meet almost every night for two, two years now. And that's how and, I get most of my work done. So you want to work buddy. Work we're work buddies. We're, we're mm -hmm. writing accountability buddies. accountability buddies but yes which accountability is so buddies wow yeah, if you don't it's like a gym buddy but we meet on the computer because yeah. for two years we didn't leave our home yeah and that accountability planner is a result of us meeting yep. we're <laughs> like it's this we, we have a phone version call. of what we do <laughs> yeah we do this every night but um well sometimes we talk and bounce ideas off of each other or you know what are you working on tonight oh you know i'm writing on this or i'm editing this so having that standing meeting as a habit really improved my productivity because what was i doing at night like you know i still I, all right i read a book before i go to bed always but what did i do like i hung out i read i i I wasn't always writing every night. And now I'm like, no, it's eight o'clock or it's 8.30. I need to be on the computer because I need to get some writing done. No, I think that's great. Accountability is huge in being able to write. So um, you've also done a ton of editing, haven't you? I have, because I'm the lead editor for Four Horsemen Publications. So, oh my God. Um, I have well, tons now, of workshops. Yeah, I've done workshops, uh, presentations on editing. I, I, I edit a lot now. I'm faster because I do it way more often than I did. I've always been editing, like, you know, I have 20 years of editing. I've been doing dissertations and occasionally novels, memoirs. You know, people will just show up and be like, hey, you know, could you edit this for me? Like, yeah, whatever. Um, but I did mostly academic stuff. Now I've done, in the last two years, I've done more uh, creative writing than in all the dissertations that I did in like <laughs> 10 years before this. So it's pretty crazy because we're at what, you know, 55, 60 books, something like that, not including the- uh, It was over 60 books in the first year. Um, I yeah. think over 250 plus books and 40 plus authors now. Yeah, so now I- I'm the main, I edit my authors. Like I have a series of authors whose work that I work, you know, will go through and then I quality control everything else. So I read all the books that Four Horsemen puts out. So I've been reading a lot, which is fun. <laughs> have you discovered any new genres that you didn't expect that you would enjoy? Um, I always, I mean, I read fantasy primarily. I read romance, mostly paranormal, urban fantasy. That's my, that's my jam. But I've read a lot more uh, science fiction than I have in the past because most of the science fiction I've read has had a romance slant because that's what I enjoy. Like, all right, I read my William Gibson. I read Neuromancer and, you know, uh, John Walter Williams. Like I read my standards in science fiction. But if I were going to pick up today a science fiction book, I would pick up a romance because that's what I like. I like watching people fall in love and have a happy ending. Um, but reading for Four Horsemen, I've been reading more um, science fiction books that aren't romances. So that's been really interesting. And one thing that's really cool now that we're so far into it is I'm seeing like books two, three, and four from authors when I saw their submission at the very beginning and just watching the growth that happens by the time like you hit your third book, you really like you've nailed your voice, you know where your story is going. It, it just gets better and better. Well, that's good. What advice would you give on that? Oh, just keep writing. All right, keep writing. Try and write every day. I know that's like a standard Stephen King thing, right? Find a day, find a time of day that works for you and stick with it, like make it a habit. Cause I'm super lazy and unmotivated. It's very easy for me to be like, no, I don't need to do the thing. So before the pandemic, when I had to leave my house, 
um, a friend of mine had, I, I, I've always had accountability games because like I said, I'm super lazy. So the deal that we made with one another was if I didn't write every day, I had to take the stairs at work and my office at work is on the third floor and I do not want to walk up three flights of stairs every day. So I, I am punishment motivated and uh, that used to help, but then I didn't have to leave my house. So I was like, well, it doesn't, I'm not gonna, there's no stairs in my house. So it doesn't matter if I don't write every day. So having the uh, accountability and making it into a habit was really helpful. Um, the other thing is to let it go, which, you know, speaking of having to start that book over, sometimes you, you know, you, you hit book three and you go back and read book one and you're like, oh my God, so many mistakes. I would, you know, did I really do this or do that? Like, no, just let it go. It's out in the wild. It's doing its own thing. Move on to, to new things. So you can't stick with your, your one baby book and make it perfect because by the time it's perfect and then you start over, you're going to find more things. Like it's never going to be perfect. It's just, you know, stuff's never done it's just do like, one of the cool things that Anne Rice ever said uh because for a while there she did Facebook videos and talks yeah um is that she talked about uh yes could have I written interview with a vampire better now yes mm-hmm. but when I look at those old books I don't feel the urge to fix them because as the writer I was at the time I wrote it I did the best I could possibly do at that time Mm-hmm. With what I it's, it's like going back and trying to add a cell phone into like Buffy the Vampire Slayer for you know when you you go back years later you're you're different the world is different so you just have to say no that book is a product of you at that time and you learn from it and you apply uh-huh. those lessons to the next book that you're working on because otherwise oh, you I- just get stuck no, I, I agree. I don't get stuck. Do you think I got stuck? Oh, no, you get stuck. Okay. Yeah, um, like you get I, stuck on the book. No, that's fine. It's okay. Pain medication is fine. Um, I, I would say, though, I think your analogy is perfect because I think me and you talked about that. I rewatched all of Buffy and I'm like, if these fuckers had a cell phone, this show would have been over. It would have been, done. that's it, done. They spent most of that yep. show going to look for each other. Like you don't realize mm-hmm. it until you rewatch the show and you're like, Mm-hmm. every fucking episode they're like have you seen spike yeah go I'll go, look go get so and so like she wouldn't look, have had she look. wouldn't have killed angel because angel would have, would have been back her. by now right so, yeah but it's a product of its time so you just have to accept it for what it is in that window through that lens no i agree 100 okay guess what let's take a break we'll be right back with jinky from Gothers. Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook, at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrothersspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to receive 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brothers Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunk. Okay, we're back, and Val apparently can't have her hair down without feverishly well, touch, stop touching it. Stop touch, touching it. You know, touch it. It's touching I, me. I don't know how people do it with their hair always like half on their face. My skin like crawls just thinking about it. I always want to pull my hair back. But there's always that romance. But but it's mm-hmm. the hair in the face is important for a romance because it's an mm-hmm. excuse to touch the other's face. 
that was the other thing in my book. Everybody, she was biting, there was biting lips and touching of chins. I was like, leave her poor shit alone. <laughs> There's a callus there. <laughs> you touching what? her chin. <laughs> what movie is it where he's like, there's a there oh it's zombie land where he's like there's a little hair that needs to be tucked there and he's like throughout the whole movie wanting to tuck hair behind a girl's ear and um <laughs> then uh she tries to eat his face off because that's what should happen in most of these yeah. so um one thing uh a lot of people may know about you from listening to the podcast or may not who the fuck knows is that you are a happy ending kind of person. I am. I am very angry when you kill main characters in stories. And if it if they don't end up together, I am really angry um, looking at Ari Salvatore just saying. No. Okay, um, so I think we should tell this Ari Salvatore story because it goes into you meeting Ari Salvatore. So let's I did, I was, I was so I was nice. Okay, so I read an Ari Salvatore book many many a moon ago, and I love Ari Salvatore. Like Drist Jordan is one of my favorite. I'm sorry, do you say Drizzt? I I always say Drist, and I know that the audiobooks go back and forth, but whatever, Drist in my brain. So I read all of those, and I really really liked it. So I was like, all right, I'll read his other series, and he has another series, and I'm not going to name it, but there is a moment where there's a character, and you assume he is the main character, and he um like falls off a roof and the bad guy comes along and ganks him on the ground. And then the story was about the other character. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What is, what, no, you don't do that to me. So I'm the person when I buy a new book, like if I'm at a bookstore, I read the last page to make sure that both names are there. Because if they're not, I feel cheated and I'm not going to read it. I'm sorry. There's like enough tragedy and death in the world. I want happy endings. I want it to work out in the fiction that I read. I also... This is because I, I have a literature degree. So I read so many stories that were sad and depressing because literature is all about death. If it's not about death, it's about sex, which is another discussion. But if, uh, if I don't know, I just, if I'm reading a story, I want, I want it to work out in the end. I want it to be happy. And you got and to be I got to, I was going, so yeah, thank you. COVID ruined my memory. I appreciate it. Continue. So I did, I got to meet Ari Salvatore many, many years later at a, a book signing. And part of me was like, you, you killed O'Brien and I'll never forgive you for it. But I didn't say that. And he told me all about the new book that he was working on and he was very excited and super nice. So I enjoy Ari Salvatore, but I haven't forgiven him. <laughs> Unlike some people who will directly <laughs> approach the authors about issues that they have in their story, that might be me. Anyway, that's moving that's on. Wound, like Laurel K. Wound. Hamilton and the wound. But anyway, um, so I think that's fascinating. You're gonna um, write a, a dragon shifter romance, right? Mm -hmm. Is there any genres that you want to put your little toes into that you haven't yet? Um, I have other, like, just, I, there are, I live in paranormal romance land. That's what I like to read. So that's what I like to write. So I may vary up my creatures and expand my world. Like the, the dragon series is actually a multiverse that's connected to other things. Um, I do have another idea for a, a series, a book, of course, that I wrote when I was in high school um, that I still remember the characters based on a D&D &D game. It was before, before I met Erica and started gaming with her, which is how we met listening audience yes, um, yes. many years ago we were, through D&D. We, we, yes. we, we, we are nerds. We so are nerds. the uh, the game that I was in, the campaign that I was in before her had these characters that I had started playing in high school. And I wrote an entire like medieval story about, um, it was a paladin named Lenore and uh, Escher the mage was a, another person in our group and they were always bickering back and forth. And then it was the adventures that they had. And I wrote a, a whole series, uh, like a, a series of stories and then one basically novel about it but it's so rough so I would need to go back and revisit so I'm guessing that's um more 
like Cloud and Ring, it's more D and D medieval world fantasy based than the the more modern stuff. So I believe we use the term high fantasy when we're referring high to fantasy, those. High fantasy, yes, but, but no, not a lot of political, not a lot of political stuff because I get bored with political stuff. But you are an avid Tolkien fan. Like. Well, yeah. I've, I love the Tolkien in my soul. Oh, so let's, um, I don't think we've ever explored that part of you. So you, you're a PhD in English literature. Some people might not realize that. I and, am, I went um, all the way. You did, you went the full Monty as far as uh, that goes, um, which does not mean she took her clothes off. She didn't do that. So don't, don't bother asking no. if you're listening. Um, but you uh, teach Tolkien. So let's talk about where your Tolkien obsession came from, my friend. Well, I read it when I was younger and I, I enjoyed it. Um, and then from there, as many people do, you use Tolkien as a springboard and then you read the rest of fantasy. So from there, I found Margaret Weiss, Tracy Hickman. I read all the Dragonlance books. Um, I, you know, David Eatings, uh, Peter S. Beagle, like you kind of wander all around and you, you find all the, the other people who do the things that Tolkien did. But because I went to college and I studied English, my interest was in middle uh medieval literature like you know the middle english stuff with all the knights and the damsels in distress which is stuff that tolkien liked but tolkien's true love was beowulf and like norse sagas so i got into that i actually learned old english uh which is a, a useful skill in today's today's world hey, not hey, at all hey, that hey. it's like the I, opposite i often go jen i need you to look at my old english and my oracle prophetical moment in this book did I write it right <laughs> it, it helps a little bit because like my background is I ended up going linguistics that's the track that I took through literature so my my PhD is in literature with a specialization in old English and linguistics so I look at where words came from um, Latin would have helped me a lot more but I took Greek because I'm like I said I'm lazy yeah so when I was an undergrad Latin was four days a week to drive to USF because I was a commuter and uh, Greek was two days a week and I was like Greek it is so because uh, I did not want to fight for parking so I took Greek which helps a little bit you know with fancier words but our language has uh, German I should have taken German because that's where English comes from um so but I did I like you know I took the I took a bunch of classes on old English we had to translate Beowulf um I still can recite it you know it's one of the things I do when I give my history of the English language spiel to my students but it's all stuff that Tolkien would have known now he knew a lot more than I do like I I dabble I feel like and he was a philologist like through and through worked on the the OED the Oxford English Dictionary um the, his word was use by the way that he looked up um, and uh, it is 16 pages with four columns on each page of all of the occur occasional, the uses of the word use in the English language from the beginning, how it was used and in what context. So if you've ever wondered like, where does this word come from in English? When did it start meaning this thing? Look it up in the OED. Um, if you have a school account, your library has an, uh, a subscription and it's free otherwise you have to pay for it it's it's more money and uh, if you're lucky enough for your library to have a copy it is a bookcase and a half of books that uh have all all of our words and where they came from and what they mean so i love tolkien and then i went to graduate school and i had to write a thesis and i was like hey how about how about i write a thesis about tolkien and my professor was like that's cute um fantasy why why fantasy is not that's what you read for fun that's not worth study so I had to do like a whole presentation I had to, to create uh, for those of you I had to write an annotated bib that explained why fantasy was a viable genre and eventually it went through and I got approved and I wrote my thesis on the power of the storyteller in Tolkien because it's a world where there's no technology so how do you get news well people show up and they tell you and whether you believe them is how you you know you, you learn things. So throughout the story, Gandalf shows up. And at one point he gets to um, uh, Eneras and uh, Grima Wormtongue is the person who says to him, we call you Gandalf Stormcrow because every time you show up, you come with bad news. And it's like, yeah, he's not wrong. You know, Gandalf does always show up with bad news. So do you trust this guy who shows up and is like, war is coming? And you're like, I don't know about that. You know, you're the only one here who seems to think so. So I, I wrote all about that and that was fun. And then I was done with school, so done, never going back. And then a professor of mine was like, hey, so I'm teaching a class on Tolkien 
next semester. They didn't know if maybe you wanted to take it. And I was like, oh, come on, just, I'll just go back for the one, just one class. So I went back for a class and at the time, see, I'm gonna tell this story now. At the time I was adjuncting, which is when you teach a class as a contract faculty. At, uh, I was adjuncting everywhere because they don't pay you a lot and you don't get any benefits. It's, it's not a very good racket, but I did it for a very long time. Anyway, so I was adjuncting at a place called HCC. And while I was there, I was in the office, which you shared with a ton of other people. And one of the people in there was a guy named Christopher Tidwell, and he taught English. He was uh, an adjunct in the next year after he ended up getting full-time. And then eventually I got full-time there. And I told him this story. I was like, years ago, you and I were alone in the adjunct office. We were, you know, we were just sitting oh, in there and I was telling him, right? So I said, oh, it's not interesting yet. <laughs> well, no, you're alone in an adjunct office. I'm wondering if he's going to turn into a werewolf with all the paranormal romance. Continue. This could get no. good. No, we were just sitting there. It was perfectly professional. Anyway, okay. he it was, except Chris Tidwell um, was deaf in one ear. So he shouted. So everything that he said, everyone in the hall could hear. So I told him, I was like, hey, you know, I'm done with school. I have my master's. I don't ever need to go back. I'm so over like that life. And, uh, but I'm going to go back and I'm going to take one class and then that's it. I'm just, I'm just back because it's Tolkien and I love it. And he stood up, kicked the door shut. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? And he was like, um, no, you're going back to school. You're going back to school full time. And he talked to me for an hour in the office. And by the end of that conversation, I went home and I filled out my application and I applied for the PhD program and I got in. And then years later, when I met him again, I was like, hey, just so you know, you're the reason I went to grad school. And he always used to call me his starfish because Chris Tidwell is dead now, for those of you who are listening. Um, he, he ended up dying of cancer a few years ago. He was very young and it was very sad. Um, but I'm glad that I got to know him like while uh, we were both full-time at the same place. But he would always say, hey, you're my starfish. You're the one that I threw back. Because there's that story about the guy walking on the beach and there's all this starfish and it's like, oh, they're all going to die. And he picks one up and he throws it back in the ocean. And uh, they're like, but it doesn't matter. You can't affect, you know, everything. And he said, well, it matters to that one. That one that I just threw back in the water, that one is going to be all right. So whenever I saw him, he'd be like, starfish, very loudly down the hallway. But anyway, so I went back to school and I did all my classes and then I had to write a dissertation and I was like, hey, you remember that that whole Tolkien thing I wanted to do? And they were like, yeah, that's cute. Prove it to us. Why is fantasy viable? And this was three years later. So if, yeah, for those of you, you understand, I had to redo all my research because the ones from three years ago weren't good anymore. So you have to re-find all the new sources, what's been going on for the last three years, blah, 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 blah. And I did that and I ended up focusing on Stephen King, which was a whole other ballpark, but so you, I talked you about another the really easy genre to talk everybody into. I, I You're did, like, you know what? I, I'm not gonna do fantasy. I know where everybody's everybody's gonna be on board. I'm gonna do horror. Because I'm gonna do I horror think that's just as viable. Which was like the red, I literally have a chapter called Horror, the Red-Headed Stepchild of Literature. Um, so I had to justify that. And then I connected Stephen King and Tolkien in my dissertation, which got published by, as a book and you can find it on Amazon, just saying. Yes, I, I own a copy of this book because as a good friend, I needed to spend like $80 on this book. because I appreciate you. It's an academic book. It is an academic book. It's very expensive academic book. On yeah. the stand. That's, I have very that's little say on it. But um, oh, it's yeah, so that's my Tolkien. Yeah, but you yeah. read, a, you. well, first of all, you've read The Cimmerillion a lot, which a lot of people who mm -hmm. like Tolkien actually haven't read The Cimmerillion. Yeah, it's up, it's up there. Um, yeah. I love the Silmarillion. You have to get past the idea that it reads like the Bible, but I mean, I read everything. So I've read the Bible, but it's very uneven. Like parts of it are super detailed and parts of it are really vague. So you'll, you'll skip chunks of huge chunks of time will go by and then you'll get like a really detailed description of a certain area. But part of that is because the Silmarillion is a book that Tolkien worked on his entire life. Um, and he didn't publish it, but he died first. And then his son came along and uh, who was like the, uh, the Christopher Tolkien takes all of Tolkien's stuff. He's, he deals with the estate. He, he just died uh, a couple years ago. But anyway, he um, took all of the stories and he put them together in a book, but he didn't really footnote it. 
Um, so scholarly, the Silmarillion is problematic because people looked at it and they're like, all right, well, how much of this is your dad and how much of this is you? So after the Silmarillion was published as a, as a book, uh, also it was the book that Tolkien wanted to publish after The Hobbit. He was like, hey, I, I have a successful, you know, uh, book that came out that that you actually had your son read and he's the one who recommended it to you so uh, to Stanley Unwin who was his publisher at the time and they were like all right well what else do you have and he was like hey I have the Silmarillion and they were like oh, that's cute try again uh, so he was like all right I guess I have the Lord of the Rings and then they made him break it into a three volumes and he was very angry about that that's another story anyway oh, yeah. so the Silmarillion came out and then there was pushback because people were like we can't tell you know, what if this is yours? Like, what did you smooth out? What did you patch together? What did you add? So after that, he published the 13 volumes of the history of Middle-earth and that's all of his father's notes. So you can see like how uh, fellowship, you know, it started like this and then it was rewritten like this and then it's crossed out in red pencil and the word this is written above it. So it's super detailed, um, like the story of how, uh, Lord of the Rings was written and then other stuff there's a bunch of other things in there did you have you read but that I have but I'm a crazy person because I read it all the way through it's not you're not supposed to read it's like reading the dictionary you're not supposed to just read it um it's meant for like a resource you go through and you say oh well when was the first time that the ring was mentioned okay well let's go into Morgoth's ring and look at all of the iterations I read them all though <laughs> <laughs> but that's why we love you Jen for anybody watching this on video is going to notice that your hair went up what happened <gasps> i couldn't take it anymore <laughs> i could not take it anymore oh my goodness so um it's interesting because you say paranormal romance blah 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 but you have read probably most if not all of stephen king yes i have that um, is I'm not for the record paranormal romance no, but I read, okay, I, I read Stephen King when I was younger. Like he was my first, um, uh, all right. So my aunt gave me a copy of the Tommyknockers for my fourth birthday, which was probably wildly inappropriate now that I'm older and think about it, but it introduced me to this whole new genre. And I grew up in a house where there were always books and I was able to read whatever I wanted. Like if there was a book around, I, it was fair game. Um, so I started reading all of Stephen King, um, but I also always read fantasy. Uh, I did read Game of Thrones. It was not my favorite. It's super political and everyone dies. It's just not my jam. Um, he kills a yeah. lot of people. He yeah, and it's just, I want people to live in my books. I don't I want them do. to die. Which is so. surprising because Stephen King also kills a lot he of does. people. He does, but my favorite book in the world is still The Talisman, but it has a happy ending, so... You know, it all works out, even though he killed Wolf, which was the saddest thing ever. But and that's funny because for J.R. Martin, um, there's an interview, uh, I think it was the PBS, The Great American Novel, where he talks about the reason why he kills off characters is because when he was reading Lord of the Rings and Gandalf falls down the crevice, mm -hmm. like he's like, I, I couldn't read for months. Like I, it, he's like, it rattled me and I never lost that. He says, so mm -hmm. when I wrote Game of Thrones, I wanted to keep rattling my readers in that same way that I had experienced as a kid when reading Tolkien. So it's kind well, of funny I think I, I actually liked yeah. Game of Thrones. I, I'm a fan of it, but I also love to know that he's a pantser and I think he just forgot something. So it's easier to kill off people than have to remember necessarily all of that. That's very he says if you have to remember yeah. all the characters way easier to fucking kill them off like mm -hmm. like done and you could tell who his favorites were it's very interesting do you think that um you have uh who's your favorite character in lord of the rings that okay me that i uh, well I'll I, have I could give a flying fuck this isn't val's <laughs> I want to know what Val says. I love Faramir because he is the most honorable character in the story. Um, a close second is Pippin. I love Pippin because he's like a walking catastrophe. He just shows up and he wrecks things. But Tolkien made up this word, catastrophe for like the good, bad thing. 
which uh, Tolkien's super Catholic. So uh, his definition for it, or his first example of it would be the crucifixion. Seems like it's bad, but it's actually good. Um, spoiler alert, the end of Lord of the Rings. Gollum takes the ring. Seems like it's bad, but it's actually good. So that moment where you are convinced that the, the, po the worst possible thing is about to happen, um, but then it shifts, it's, you know, you end up with the happy ending. So that's a you catastrophe. Um, Pippin causes them constantly. He takes the Palantir. He makes noise in Moria. Like he just pushes the plot along with bad things that end up being good things. But, and, and I love him for that. But really Faramir is the most noble character, not just in Tolkien, but like in fantasy. He, for a, a little while, like fought with Drist in my brain for like the, the, the hero on a pedestal spot because he's such a good man. Okay, Val, just because um, Jam wants to know, um, what's your know. favorite character in Lord of the Rings? Man. I have a hard time because it's, if it's from the main cast, it has to be Sam. I, the idea of that faithful yeah. friend, mm -hmm. I, I value, I value a very strong supporting or secondary character in any writing. Like the best friend of the main character is usually ends up being my favorite character, no matter what I read. And Sam is Weird. a great, great Weird. aspect. No, what, what? Yeah, you know, <laughs> what is yours, Erica? No, first of all, that's not surprising at all. To me. Hers is Sauron. Yeah. Hands down. Hands down. <laughs> the no, bad guy. The villain. The you villain. know, it's, it's interesting. There, to me, uh, okay, I'm just going to, Jen already knows this. There's a lot of fucking walking in those books. There's so much fucking walking. And I am not a huge fan of books that get too drawn out like that. I'm just not, not that it's not amazing and everything like that, but man, I was fucking happy when those movies shortened that shit up. Like, let's- <laughs> That's because not Tolkien loves, um, he loves nature, he loves trees. He grew up in a place where when he was a child, there were trees everywhere. And by the time he was a young man, um, industrialization had happened and a lot of the trees, the parks that he had walked around in were gone. And it was all, you know, buildings and industry, you know, factories. So he spends a lot of time on trees and this, all right, this is my favorite Tolkien story that Tom Shippey, I got to go to a lunch at Tom Ship, uh, with Tom Shippey when I was a visiting professor at USF and it was awesome. For those of you who aren't familiar, Tom Shippey is the leading Tolkien scholar right now. Um, like worked on, helped on the movies, was, uh, he's written the biography, Tom Shippey's the man. Anyway, so he tells a story about how when he was younger, he was at Oxford to interview Tolkien who was a rock star, but not the way that he is today. Like, you know, Tolkien, Tom Shippey is very old. Um, and he was like 30 at the time. So he tells the story of how he showed up to Oxford early and he sat down on a bench next to an old man, not knowing who it was. And the old man started talking to him and was like, hey, do you see this tree? You know, this tree has been next to this bench for, you know, however long and none of the people walking by even notice it. This tree probably has a name. It has a history. And he was like, okay, tree hugger, dude. Like, thanks for letting me know that you really appreciate the trees on campus. I have a meeting. So he got up and then later on, of course, he goes to the office and that's Tolkien. And he was like, oh, okay, you love trees, which is why even the trees walk in his books but he's trying to recapture that idea you know of the the nature the pastoral that you know nature like heals you or soothes you but then he also isn't super romantic about it because our poor hobbits are always like nature sucks and wait i hate sleeping on the ground and all i want is my bed and a cup of tea so which is your motto in life i know why you <laughs> like these so much I'm a hobbit and <laughs> she was talking about being on a, a meeting and there with her one ring campaign character name on her zoom call <laughs> did i went halfway through a meeting yeah. with with tilda at the bottom and i was like who's tilda that's so funny oh my god that's me <laughs> so yeah yeah that's okay it's not so much attention to detail <laughs> oh my goodness oh my goodness <laughs> Okay, so we have to wrap up this podcast because we have to. We can talk for hours. We know this. We've done it. Um, what I need from you, my friend, is advice that you would give. Oh, not you, Val. I have zero interest in your 
Yeah, all videos. Oh, like I'm listening. Look, I'm being a good girl, Erica. Yeah, wonder like, why you, you 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 are you I you like the sidekick hero support Wait. characters. Yeah. You just got in trouble by mom. Because that's who I am in the Yes, life. I know. That's exactly what it is. That hurts your face. Anyway. Uh, advice. Uh, advice. All right, my my advice is to well, I already gave advice, which was like, you know write every day and have an accountability buddy. But my other advice is to to write your story no matter how um, unoriginal you think it is, because I like I teach a class on Lord of the Rings and all of people who say you know I wrote a book but it's fantasy. Like, is there anything new in fantasy? Like, yeah, there is, but it doesn't matter how derivative your work is because you haven't told that story. So you as being yourself, you're the only you're the only you there is. So you're going to tell that story in a way that no one else could. So do it. You know, it's still worthwhile. Your voice is worthwhile. I love that. I love that. Okay. So what is your next book coming out? Let's replay it here. Um, Keep Me Close should be out by the time this podcast plays. So that is the third novel in the Ooh. Conjuring Fascination trilogy. And then my next uh, book is going to be Cerise's Secrets, uh, which is my Dragon Shifter series coming out at the end of this year. Very cool. And I believe Cloud's Ring is coming out on audiobook too here shortly. Yes. Awesome. So Yay. that's super exciting. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. Well, guys, this has been Drinking with Authors. I have been your Thank host, you. Erica Lance. My amazing yet fraught with anxiety over her hair co-host has been Valerie Willis. <laughs> an amazing sidekick, I've just in case Sam. anybody's wondering. And best Sam. Best Sam ever. Um, and our guest has been J.M. Paquette, which is thoroughly awesome. Our sponsor today has been Skunk Brother Spirits, DWA10. Check them out. Like I said, if I didn't have to be behave myself and not drink alcohol right now i would have put some of that apple pie brandy into my apple juice it is amazing done it with apple cider and we will see you guys next time oh wait you didn't do your social media yeah shameless plug go oh, where can um, they find you uh author jmpiquette.com is my website uh i'm on twitter at at author jmp and then i also have editor jmp13 uh for, for tweet and i'm on instagram as well very, very cool. Well, now we've officially been drinking our <laughs> and we will 